Uh, my name is Jeff Palmer, Executive Director of Baptist Global Response, and I uh, have the privilege and honor of being with you today. Thank you for the wonderful invitation, the couple of services we've already had, and uh, to share with you what God's doing around the world through some uh, relief and development work. Uh, but I want to say, first of all, thank you. Thank you for your partnership uh, in the gospel and uh, all those things that, that we've been able to do together over the past few years, uh, starting with some of the work in South Sudan and Anne and, and her group. And I know that you were instrumental in starting some of that work there. Thank you. Thank you for taking care of those widows and orphans and school children there uh, coming out of armed conflict. Thank you most recently for your partnership in the gospel and uh, uh, Tanzania, uh, Kagoma Baptist Hospital, in sponsoring the, the building and uh, construction of a, of, of a uh, pediatric swing. So what a blessing you have been uh, to folks all around the world. And I, I was sharing earlier in the services, I, I put out on social media, um, uh, which I don't have a whole lot of followers. It's, you know, it's uh, one of those age things. But anyway, I, I did put out there that I'd be at Dawson this weekend. And it was amazing the number of folks uh, uh, that say, hey, I used to go there. Or, hey, we, we have benefited from their missions program or uh, served on staff there. So uh, uh, you have a wonderful, wonderful footprint around the world, a footprint that is a testimony to God's goodness and God's grace. And uh, I just want to say thank you for being a partner uh, in the gospel. Uh, again, my name is Jeff. My wife, Regina, is here. Uh, we served uh, over 20 years with International Mission Board uh, in Asia, primarily in Philippines, uh, Thailand, but we worked with projects from uh, uh, Afghanistan over to the Koreas and Vietnam and up north and, and down. And uh, we spent most of our time living in the Philippines where our kids grew up in a, a tribal village. We worked with tribal and Muslim people groups. I'm an agriculturalist. My wife is a nurse. And uh, so we use those skills to help people with better food, with health care, with education, things like that. But also, we help them encounter Jesus. Uh, worked with lots of tribal groups and a few Muslim people groups that really had little or no access to the gospel. And I told people, I've got the best job in the world. Helping people and tell them about Jesus. That's, that's a pretty neat job. And so uh, we were able to do that for several years. We were based in Thailand for a while in Singapore. And now we have our, our most difficult assignment. So pray for us. We live in Nashville, Tennessee. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Oh. Anyway, we'll talk later. Uh, but uh, tell you a little bit about, you know, uh, you know, before you start thinking, oh, you know, missionary, let's give them the bestowed holiness and all that. Let me tell you uh, one time uh, when our, our, our oldest uh, who was about seven, eight years old, was sitting at the breakfast table one day, kind of let you know what kind of missionaries that we were. We were in a tribal village, so we were out in the middle of nowhere, you know, electricity was, you know, every once in a while we have, we had to gather our own water and things like that. And so one day we were at the breakfast table and our, 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 our young, our oldest, who's now is 30 at the time, was there and uh, he said, Dad, he said, when I grow up, I'm going to be a missionary just like you. I said, well, you know, it makes Dad feel pretty good, you know. And I said, oh, really? I said, well, what are you going to do? He said, I'm going to drink coffee and play basketball too. <laughs> and I said, anything else? He said, yeah, tell people about Jesus. I said, good answer, boy, good answer. So, yeah. Um, if you have your Bibles with you, I want you to turn to Romans chapter 1. 
Uh, let me do mention just one other thing before we get into the message this morning. Uh, I am working with Baptist Global Response. Actually, we left the IMB about uh, 20 years ago, uh, 10 years ago, uh, after 20 plus years working with IMB. And we were asked to start a Southern Baptist International Relief and Development Organization that now has become uh, known as Baptist Global Response. And BGR is, is uh, your, your organization uh, that's global, that partners with IMB and national par partners with churches like Dawson uh, to, to minister to needs around the world and to, uh, uh, to address the acute issues like the disaster. So when you heard about the earthquake in Nepal, BGR was out there leading, helping in the response, helping our IMB folks, helping our churches get engaged. Uh, but we also address these, these chronic things of hunger, poverty, HIV, AIDS all around the world. Uh, we would work in about 60 to 65 countries at any given time with about 400 projects. All of those projects really going to meet critical needs and help people encounter Christ. So um, we appreciate your support and also partnership uh, in the work. But this morning we're going to talk about a message from the book of Romans. We're going to go to chapter 1, the uh, uh, letter of Paul to the church at Rome. And, and I want to start out before we, we, we kind of dive into this is just kind of let you know that, that, that the book of Romans is a little bit different of all the other writings of Paul. Just to remind us, you know, all the other writings like to uh, 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 the church at Corinth, uh, to the churches in Galatia, uh, to the church at Ephesus, those were churches that Paul had had a hand in starting. He had a personal knowledge. Uh, he knew the folks there, and he was kind of writing this letter back to them, and he could admonish them, and he could talk to them like a father in the faith. Well, the letter to the church at Rome, the book of Romans that we have, uh, he's never met these folks. And he knows a few of them. He knows some of the believers who've gone there to help start, but he's kind of writing a, kind of a cold call letter. Uh, to this church that he's never met. And he does say, I am going to come. I, I want to come and I want to meet you. We'll, we'll see that later there in chapter one. But he's writing to a group of folks that he, he doesn't really know. And, and he lays out in the book of Romans a great theology, a great missiology. He lays out his heart, as we're going to see today, his heart for the gospel. And in this first chapter, he doesn't pull any punches. And, and he just, he hits them right away with, with, with his heart for the gospel. And we're going to talk about Paul's heart for the gospel, God's heart. And also, we're going to talk about today our hearts. Our heart for the gospel. Do we love the gospel? Do we love Jesus? Do we love that Jesus is in the gospel and what he did through the gospel so that we can know him and have life eternal? We say we do. But we do, do, do we really, really love him? In chapter 1, Paul starts out, and he says this. First of all, he says, Paul, that's my name, I, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. Actually, that word is a slave. That's the word doulos. It means a person who has given up all of their rights. We don't like that word, do we? I mean, we don't like that, to be a slave. Paul says it's a great word because I have, I have given my whole life, everything, who I am, to become a slave, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Paul, a servant, a slave of Jesus Christ, but also called to be apostle. I have given my life over completely as his slave, and yet he's bestowed upon me the right to be an apostle, the calling to be an apostle, one sent out with the message that he would have me proclaim. A servant, a slave of Christ Jesus, called to be apostle and set apart for, what's the message? The gospel of 
God. He, he doesn't pull any punches right away. He lets them know, I'm a slave, I'm called, I'm set apart, and it's all about the gospel. It's all about the good news. It's all about Jesus Christ and the message of the cross. Then he goes through there talking about the, the gospel a little bit. In verse 5, he says he's received grace and apostleship to bring about obedience of faith. And then we come down to verse 8, and this is where we're going to start this morning, our passage. Particularly, we're going to focus on verses 14 through verses 17. Read with me, if you will, in verse 8 of chapter 1. Paul says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. There's his, his desire to visit them at Rome because he doesn't know them personally. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, and that is, we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. And then these verses... Paul shares these three, what we call, I am statements. The I am heart of, the, of Paul's gospel and what should be our gospel. You know, in the book of John, the gospel, we, we have Jesus, the, the, the seven I am statements, where Jesus reveals his character. I am the bread of life. I am the living water. I am the resurrection. I am the way, the truth, and life. Well, in the book of Romans, Paul shares these three I am statements, kind of the heartbeat of what he sees of the gospel, and it's not a description of himself, it's, it's our, our focus, our heart, how we should look at and view and how we should feel about the good news of Jesus Christ. And then he says in verse 14, look, there's the first I am statement. Paul says to the church at Rome, I am, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So first of all, he says, I am obligated. I am obligated to preach the gospel. And then verse 15, so I am. Verse 14, I am under obligation. Verse 15, I am. I am eager. I'm not only obligated, not only do I have to, but I am ready and willing and I get to share the good news of Jesus Christ. I'm obligated and I am eager to preach the gospel to you who also are in Roman. And then in verse 16, we get the third I am, the third heart of the matter of the gospel for Paul. For I am, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. To everyone who believes, to the Jew first, also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as is it written, the righteous shall live by faith. So here's the heart that Paul shares with us. He says, I am obligated. Not only obligated, I am eager. Not only eager, I am not ashamed to share the gospel. Those are some pretty good statements, aren't they? I am obligated. Paul said, think about it. Here I was, the chief persecutor, the chief sinner of sinners. The worst that there was, dragging people out of their houses, for trial and, and putting to death because I was the one that was trying to step out, of, stamp out the way, the followers. And here I was, 
doing all of this. And in the middle of that, Jesus Christ appeared to me. And he saved me. And he showed me the truth. And he gave me new life. And he says, I am under obligation. Look what Jesus did for me while I was yet sinner. Christ died for me. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The wages of sin are dead. But here's what Jesus did for me. We should all be obligated. Because what? Because I think about it. I mean, we may not have been as bad as Paul in persecuting the church, but think about it. Don't all of us deserve sin and death? Don't all of us deserve separation? But because of God's amazing grace, because of what he did, it is so amazing that while we were yet sinners, he died for us so those who would believe could have eternal life. Paul said, that's why I'm obligated. I am obligated because of what Jesus did for me. Uh, my granddaddy uh, passed away in 97, Dyersburg, Tennessee. Everybody knew him, uh, Mr. Lonnie, uh, William Alonzo Palmer. And I, one of my mile markers in my spiritual journey and uh, I used to go with him, work on his farm in the summers, and we'd go out in the public places, you know, we'd go to the co-op and the, the Piggly Wiggly, they had those back then, you know, and, and everywhere we go, people would say, how you doing today, Mr. Lonnie? And he'd always say to him, I never forget, he'd always say, better than I deserve. That was before Dave Ramsey, by the way. He'd say, better than I deserve. And they'd say, oh, Mr. Lonnie, they'd say, why, why do you say that? You know, you're a good guy, but you know, everybody knows you, you're a pillar of the... Uh, society, and he said, well, here's the reason. I deserve death and hell, but because of the grace of God through Jesus Christ, I have eternal life. Do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? We're all obligated. Those of us that know Jesus Christ, what a, what a profound sense, debt of gratitude that we should have for what Jesus did for us, taking our place, doing something that we couldn't do, dying a death that we deserved, and being resurrected and living a life and offering it to us eternally. Isn't that amazing news? Let me tell you about uh, my friend, uh, we'll call, call him R, uh, a pastor uh, from, from Syria. Several of the group that, that we worked there, we're, we're doing several projects trying to move things in and out. If you know anything about what's going over there, I don't know how you could have missed it. Uh, 12 to 14 million people displaced right now inside and out of the country because of the six-year war that's going on there. Something you may not know about Syria, uh, six, seven years ago, it was one of the highest populations of evangelical Christians in the Middle East. Uh, country. Uh, a lot of that's been changed in the last couple of years because of people fleeing uh, uh, certain death, persecution, war, famine, everything else, and bombs dropping in your house. But anyway, we were sitting around right on the border uh, of Syria. We had several of the pastors who were helping us move uh, and still are helping us move goods in and out of, of the country. Uh, we as Westerners, kind of hard to get in and out in those places. And I had some uh, pastors with me 
uh, from the U.S., and we were talking to them, and, and, and one of the guys, R, who's a, who's a pastor from Syria, was telling the story about, you know, yeah, you know, a couple of weeks ago, our, our son was walking to school, he's 10 years old, and the car bomb went off and knocked him down. By the grace of God, he was okay, and then, you know, just last week, a couple of days ago, our, our daughter was in the house, and and a, and, a, and a sniper's bullet grazed her hair, but, you know, God protected her. The bullet lodged, it showed us in the place in the apartment that the bullet lodged in the wall, and wife had been threatened over and over, and he had been threatened uh, with, with beating and, and persecution because of, of bringing goods in and out. And, and one of the USA pastors stopped, and he says, he said, R, which is not his real name, R, he said, he said, so when is it time for your family to leave and get out of here? You know, there's a lot of danger here. And R, I, I, I never forget the look on his face. He looked over at this U.S. pastor and kind of was confused. I don't think he really understood the question. He said, leave? He said, leave? He says, why would we leave? He said, there's so many people who have still not heard about Jesus. That is a profound sense of obligation, folks. We are obligated to share. And Paul said, he said, I'm obligated to the Greeks and the barbarians. I'm obligated to the wise and to the foolish. Now, it wasn't just those, those, those different categories of people that he was obligated to. What he was saying, I'm obligated to all. Uh, whether it's a here or there, which is your theme, here, across the street, or there around the world. It doesn't really matter. We're not exempt from any of it because of what Jesus has done for us. We should be obligated to make Jesus known. There shouldn't be 2.8 billion people in the world today who still have not heard the gospel. There shouldn't be over 1 billion people, one out of every seven in the world today, that have never heard the name of Jesus when there's so many who have heard here. Paul says, I'm obligated. And then he goes on in verse uh, 15. He says, not only am I obligated. If obligated word bothers you, you know, it's kind of too, too heavy where we're obligated, we have to. Well, then Paul corrects that and he says, don't worry about it. We're obligated, but we also should be eager. Not only do we have to, but we should get to. I am eager to preach the gospel. I am under obligation both to Greeks, but I am eager to preach the gospel to you who are also in Rome. There's a lot of things I get eager about. You know, my favorite sports team, you know, I get eager about, uh, you know, getting to go eat out. You can tell by looking. You know, I get eager about a lot of things. Do I wake up in the morning, though, and get eager about sharing the gospel? Hey, man, I get to go out today to school, to work, to Walmart, or uh, not an endorsement of any place, but anywhere. And I get to share the gospel. There's a reason why it's called good news. It's good news. I like to tell folks, and I've shared it in the two services, there's bad news, there's good news, and there's amazing news. The bad news is we're all sinners and we deserve hell. We deserve death. We deserve separation from God. The good news is he gave us a way to get to him, and that's through Jesus Christ and the cross and the blood. The amazing news is, if there's even more amazing news, the amazing news is now he's entrusted that ministry of reconciliation, that message of the good news to us to tell others. That's the part that kind of baffles me. Paul says, I'm obligated and I am ready, willing, and eager to share. Um, a friend of ours, Aaron, uh, in Southeast Asia, 
And uh, several of his uh, teammates, we, we trained in agriculture, healthcare, and also shared. They were going to go into an area of the country that we could not go into. The Westerners, it was, it was off limit, to, still is actually off limit to foreigners. And so we, we, we trained and equipped. The local Baptist convention tried to stop them because uh, it's an extremely dangerous, here, dangerous area, kind of a wild, wild west area. A lot of drug runners still. It's where opium production is in this country. But Aaron said, we got to go because people haven't heard. Uh, so they got training. They went. We heard within a week that that, that whole group had been captured. Uh, these were local believers. They had been captured by the warlords in the area. They were put into kind of forced labor camps. They were clearing roads through the jungles to transport the drugs and had to transport drugs. Uh, and uh, living under just barely existing, think of bridge over the river, Kwai type living conditions. For those of you who remember that old movie, that's an older reference. Uh, that's kind of where they were. About three to four weeks later, I was on the other side of the country on the border area preaching in a, uh, almost said the name of the people group, I better not, in the church. And, and, and I noticed that the sister of Aaron who was, a, who was a, a great Bible woman herself. Angela was in the crowd. And so when the, when the service was over, I went straight to Angela. I said, oh, Angela, I said, I want you to know I'm praying for Aaron. I'm praying for all that uh, folks have been captured. And I'm praying for their deliverance, their release. Angela got quiet and she got mad. She turned red. She said, don't you dare. Don't you dare pray for their release. Don't you dare pray for their release. She said, pray for them to be bold. Pray for them to be bold and share. That's what they went there to do. You pray for them to be bold. Paul said, I'm obligated, but I'm eager, eager in the midst of anything that will come because these are the words of life. People need to hear that Jesus saves. Jesus saves. So Paul says in verse 14, I'm under obligation Verse 15, he says, I am eager to preach the gospel. And then verse 16, probably the more familiar verse out of this whole passage. He says in verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed. I am under obligation to preach the gospel. I'm eager. And he says, on top of all of this, I want you to hear. Here's what our heart should be. We should not be ashamed to preach the gospel, to share our faith. Uh, that, that word ashamed, it, it means simply exposed for being wrongfully aligned. That's the, what the Greek word literally means. Exposed for being, he said, I don't have to worry about being exposed for being wrongfully aligned because the gospel is right. It's not wrong, it's right. It is the power of God for salvation for those who are believing. I don't have to worry about it. See, the thing that, that, that worries us mostly about sharing a lot of times our faith and sharing the gospel, you know the thing that really bothers us is that we'll do it bad or maybe we don't know the words to say, or maybe we're just afraid in the moment. It's okay, we're all afraid at times to share the gospel. We know that. But here's the, here's the thing that you should, and I should relax and just, just revel in. The power of salvation is not the way we share the gospel. It's in the gospel. It's in the gospel. It's in the gospel. The power of salvation is in the gospel. And we should not be ashamed. Doesn't matter how we share it, is that we share it. Let me tell a story. I'm actually going to do a little different story from the first two services. 
Um, this also is a story east, southeast Asia. I won't share the country for, for obvious reasons when you hear the story. Uh, we've been working several years trying to access a, uh, a part of the country that was, was pretty well closed uh, for foreigners and access and uh, uh, did everything uh, the country did in that part of the country to keep the gospel out. And, of course, God's more powerful. We know that. So we... Uh, began doing some agriculture and healthcare extension projects in this one country and developing our teams on the ground that could do that. The government was very strict and said, well, you can't have access to people. We, we were really targeting some unreached tribal groups in this country. And uh, the government said, well, you can't have contact. We'll choose who comes to the training programs. We said, okay, that's fine. Uh, we'll take what we can get. We'll get close. We'll get close to where these folks that have never heard the, uh, the message of hope and the gospel. And so we got there. First training group came in was about 25 people. 22, 23 of those people came from unreached tribal groups. The government actually chose, listen to this, this government, socialist, communist government, actually chose people who had never heard the gospel to come hear the gospel. Isn't that amazing? That's God. And, and, and we were so excited when we heard that these, these groups that we've been trying to access, we didn't know if they'd had much access from the outside or anything, uh, that, that were going to be there. <clears throat> first night of the training, I was there for the first part, and our local teams on the ground were doing the uh, training. We were doing agriculture, healthcare, but we were also kind of sifting through and doing some seed sowing, trying to figure out if anybody had an idea who Jesus was and would there be some interest. And we're trying to do this in a way with the government sitting there looking over our shoulder. And so we began talking, and there was one guy. He was about in his probably his, his mid, late 30s, about 40 years old, and, and he kind of tapped our arm. He said, said I, I'd like to talk to you in private and you know, later on. So later on that evening, um, I didn't get to go to there, but, but the local, the local uh, team leader went and kind of went off with this guy. He says, I've got a story to tell you. He said, I want you to know, he said, I'm from this tribe. We thought there were no believers among this tribe. He said, I'm from this tribe, this people group. And he says, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. He said, well, tell me your story. I, you know, how did that happen? He said, well, and this is, this is a people group we've been praying for years to get access to. And we had no idea what was happening among them. Uh, and he said, well, several years ago, some believers that were also of our language group came from another country. And they were able to cross the borders and come through areas that, that you can't come through. And they, were come, they came over here and they, they shared the gospel. And, and two of us in the village became believers. One was the older leader. He was the village headman. And then he's, the guy was telling the story. He said, I became a believer, follower Jesus. He said, the village headman was a government village headman. So the government heard about it. They came. And folks, I'm telling a story that happened uh, less than 10 years ago, about 10 years ago. So this is, this is a true story, modern story. This is not a story from way back. He said, the village headman then was brought out in front of the whole community and the the bigger government official said, you know, you're the village headman. You cannot be a follower of Jesus Christ because, you know, our official policy as a government is that we, you know, really don't have a religion, don't believe in God. And, and the village headman said, well, I just have to know that I'm a follower of Jesus. And they said, you're going to have to give up your faith. And he said, well, I can't give up my faith. And they said, well, you're going to have to. And he said, I, I, I'm not going to give up my faith. He said, because Jesus saved me. So they took him and they, they tied him to a post in the middle of the community. 
And I've, I've seen the post. I know that where the area is. They took him and tied him to a post, and they began to beat him early in the morning, saying, you catch your faith. He said, no, I'm not going to because I know Jesus, and I'm following Jesus. And they beat him all throughout the day. This was being told to us at this time by this 40-year-old when we first heard the story. They beat him all through the day, and he refused. He said, I will never give up my faith. I will never give up. This guy had only been a believer for probably a few months. They beat him all through the day until the end of the day. He died. And that younger man who was telling the story, he said, but you know what? He said, now there's 20 of us that believe. Now there's 20 of us that believe. Paul says we should not just be obligated, but eager to preach the gospel. And here's the thing. We shouldn't be ashamed. We, we live in a place that we've got every chance and every opportunity. And I'm as guilty as, as another. But our heart has been redeemed by living God and by the blood of Jesus. And if that doesn't make us obligated, if that, that doesn't make us excited, if that doesn't make us not afraid, then what will? Here's the secret of the gospel. It's free. Here's the secret of the gospel is God doesn't force it on you or me or anybody. Even that person that we meet and share, God doesn't force his gospel. He doesn't force salvation. He invites. He invites. And he invites us. Uh, if you've trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, he's invited you. You've received him. You've accepted. And now he invites you to share. To share with your neighbor and with the nations. Uh, here at home and there around the world. It doesn't matter where because it's the good news. It is the gospel of salvation for those who are believing. Jesus Christ, born, lived a perfect life, a sinless life that we couldn't, died a death that we should have, buried and resurrected on the third day. That's the simple story that we have to share. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your word that is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. Thank you for the fact that you have saved us, you have drawn us to yourself, and you've called us according to your purpose. May we be, Father, people who understand the cost that Jesus paid for us. May we be obligated, Father, to share that story more than obligated, may we be eager, Father, to share with those who have never heard, who don't know, who may have heard a million times before, but this next time they hear, Father, that they will know you. May we not be ashamed, Lord. May we not be ashamed. May we understand that your word, your gospel, the fact of what Jesus did is the power for salvation for those who believe. We thank you so much for your goodness. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for calling us, for sending us out. In Jesus' name, amen.